about to hear an anointed, powerful word that will change your life from Treasure Coast Victory Center. Be blessed as your faith goes from one level of glory to another level of glory. Right, this will be week number two. We're talking about the kingdom word, and we're going to start in Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. Father, I thank you for another opportunity to, to teach your word on the anointing of God. I thank you for the way you're changing our thought life and our lives and our mouths and every single part about us. Father, we want to be in right alignment with you in every single area of our life. We thank you for the great privilege and the dominion that you've given us in order to extend the kingdom of God. And we thank you that each and every day we're having another opportunity to send out your nature, to send out your morality, to send out your culture into this earth. And we give you praise for that opportunity in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. All right, Acts chapter 19. Look at verse 20. It says, So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. So mightily grew the word of God, and what did it do? Prevailed. It prevailed. The word of God, we have already found out, basically takes the place of the unseen Christ. The Word of God is God's thoughts, God's desires, the will of God written down so that we wouldn't have to guess what God wants or what God's will is. The more you read the Word and the more you understand God's will, the more you will be able to cooperate with Him in the earth realm and complete the purpose that you were put here to do. When you meditate and spend time in the Word, it is a visit with Christ Himself. The Word will become part of us, become real to us through meditation and through acting on the Word of God. If you want revelation, you will never really get it unless you start doing what the Word tells you to do. That's when revelation comes. The Bible calls revelation light. What does light do? It dispels darkness. What is darkness? Ignorance. Basically, when we were born into the kingdom of God, we were ignorant with the kingdom of God. We knew nothing about the Holy Spirit, nothing about our new birth, nothing about the devil. But as the Word of God reveals that to us, it brings revelation into our hearts so that we can come into agreement with the Word of God. Here it says the Word not only grew, but it also prevailed. Here there was a revival in Ephesus. It was shaking the nations. It was not necessarily Paul preaching. It was not his logic. It was the Word of God that was being spread out, and it was growing, and it was prevailing. Say prevailing. prevailing. All right, go to Acts chapter 12. Here in Acts chapter 12, look at verse 24. Now remember, this is the early church. This is in Acts. Here it says, but the Word of God grew, and the Word of God multiplied. So we found out the Word of God grows, it multiplies, and it also prevails. Now, where was it growing? It was growing in the minds and the hearts of people who were hearing the Word. We found out last week the Word is alive. It is active. It is a seed. As you hear the Word of God, it goes into your thought life, it goes into your spirit, man, and it will grow and start to prosper on the inside of you. What about faith? Well, faith comes when the Word prevails over the thinking processes. Faith in your life actually comes when the Word of God prevails over your thinking processes or over your natural thinking, the natural evidence that you run into each and every day. The seed of the Word of God will grow, it will continue to multiply, and it will sooner or later prevail in your life 30, 60, and 100-fold. Now, many places in the Bible it talks about being double-minded. Say double-minded. Every time where we read about being double-minded is actually not very good because they're telling you not to be. But notice, when you first got in the kingdom of God, you were single-minded in the wrong way. 
And once you got in the word of God, you became double-minded because now the word was fighting with your natural thinking. So at that time, it was a good double-mindedness because you were coming out of the single and the wrong into the double part way, and then you wanted to get over into the single on the other side. Are you following me? That's why most of the battles you fuss are between your ears. Everybody wants to fight the devil. Everybody wants to fight their friends. Everybody wants to fight the church. Everybody, But the battle you're fighting is right between your ears. That's where it's at. It's the word of God that you heard that you know you should be doing that you're not doing because your natural tells you not to. And when you do that, you end up in a fight and you decide who wins that battle. Praise God. All right, go to Matthew chapter 8. All right, Matthew chapter 8, starting verse 23. It says, And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he said unto them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Notice here Jesus in the middle of a storm. He arose. He rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. What happened here? The word of God basically prevailed over the storm, over the natural situation. The word in Jesus' lips prevailed over the natural laws of nature. Why is that? Because he knew he had dominion and could use that dominion from the word of God. Now notice he turns to his disciples and he says, why are you fearful, you of little faith? What was he saying? He was saying, why in the heck didn't you do what I did so I didn't have to do it? You didn't have to wake me up. You could have did it yourself. So basically he was explaining to them that they could also use the word of God to prevail over things in their life. Now why didn't they do it? Well, because the natural was still prevailing in their mind rather than the word of God. This shows you the different mindsets. Jesus, the word in him, prevailed over the natural. The disciples, the natural, was still prevailing over them. So what did they say? What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? We see the word in the Gospels prevailing in Jesus' life over sickness, the words over disease, over demons. It prevailed over starvation, the loaves and the fishes. It was over all the laws of the nature. Now, since he rebuked his disciples for not doing what he did, that must mean that we can do what he did, or there's no reason to rebuke them for not doing what he did. Are you following me? Otherwise, he'd just turn around and say, man, I'm glad you woke me up. We were all just about to drown, and you woke me up just in time. But he didn't say that. He said, you should have did what I did, and you didn't do it. So that shows us what God wants us to do as kingdom livers. He wants that word to prevail in our hearts and in our minds to where the dominion that we have is bigger than anything that comes into our life, and you're going to discover that simply by being in the word of God. All right, go to John chapter 1. All right, John chapter 1, look at verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So here we see God and His Word are one, this tells us. 
The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So you can interchange once again in verse 3, God and the Word. You could say in verse 3, all things were made by the Word, and without the Word was not anything made that was made. So once again, God and His Word, they are one. God is a God of integrity. What God says in His Word, He will do, God will do. God never says one thing, then does another thing. People think, well, God's sovereign. He can do whatever He wants to do. But His sovereignty will never override His own Word. If God says you were healed, then allows you to be sick, decides not to heal you, heals you in His own time, then He's a liar. If God says, I'll save you if you call upon me, then somebody calls upon Him and He says, oh, no, you're way too bad. I'm not going to save you. That means He's a liar. God is sovereign, but He will never use His sovereignty to contradict His Word. Basically, God bound Himself by the Word of God. In other words, what He spoke, He's forced now to do. He can't go back on His Word. He can't change it. Once He speaks it, He's liable to carry out that Word no matter what. And here's the problem in the church today. People don't know what He said. All they know is the sovereignty of God. Well, God, that's the way God wanted it to happen. Well, that's the way God wanted it to happen. Well, you never even read his will or what he said about the situation, so how can you agree with him on what he's supposed to do? So as you spend time in the Word, you're going to find out certain things that God said, and your job is to hold him accountable to do those things he promised because the reason he promised them is so you could have them to begin with. God didn't give you promises so you don't get them. He gave you promises so that you would get them. So you've got to understand, first of all, God is not a liar. Today's church basically has made God out to be double-minded. God will heal you, but then again, you know, he, he just might make you sick. He loves you, but he'll kill you off right now if that's what he wants to do. He'll protect you, but yet he'll attach it, attack you the same time. Why is that? Because there's been no teaching on the dominion that God has given you, the power that he's given you. So everybody attributes everything that happens to God. If you're healed, praise God. If you're sick, glory to God. You never know. You never know what God's going to do. Well, that just proves to me that you have not read the Word and have no idea what He's going to do. So God will do whatever He said He would do. Jesus knew that. So He stood up in the middle of the storm. He rebuked the storm. He knew He could resist the things of the devil, and they would do what? They would flee. So He acted on the Word of God. Stuff will happen in your life. How many of you figured that out? Just because you got born again in the kingdom of God don't mean you're in a bubble now and nothing's going to attack your life, but it's your job to use that word of God and stand against them things. The Bible says, if you say to the mountain, it will move. Here it also says in verse 3 that all things were made by the word. The whole universe was brought into being by words. The word of God, a spirit, creates material things. This proves that the spirit world is greater than the natural world and it will affect the natural world. One thing you've got to figure out and get in your mind right now, if you've got to learn how to discover what the Bible calls or what I call doctrines of devils. There are doctrines of devils, and they're not out there in the world. They're in the church. They're things that are taught because people have not studied the Bible, don't know what the Word of God says, so they're giving doctrines to the people. And the number one doctrine basically that has destroyed the church in a lot of ways is simply God is in control of everything. You can go hear that on TV. You can hear it in every sermon. You can hear it in every church that God's in control of everything. What does this do? It basically attributes everything going on in the world to God. In other words, it's God's fault. It excuses you from doing anything, and it basically excuses the devil from doing anything. God is either directly or indirectly in charge of the starvation, the rapes, the poverty, the insanity, the disease, the death, the curse. Basically, God almost has a dual nature. 
He's good some days, but other days he's not so good. But he's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants to do. And you never know what God's going to do in every situation. This is one thing you're going to have to understand, that God is not in control of your life. He has given you laws and he has given you things that you can agree with that will talk out which direction you go in your life. Are you following me? I mean, if you want to jump off a building and die, he can't do anything about that. How many of you know that? So it's basically up to us. Just go to Proverbs 18. All right, Proverbs 18, look at verse 21. It says, death and life are in the power of God, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. No, what does it say? Life and death is not in God's control. It's in the power of what? The tongue. Now, let me ask you a question. Is God in control of every word that comes out of your mouth? If he is, then I can cuss if I want to. I can complain if I want to. I can do anything I want to do because God's in control of every word that comes out of my mouth, basically, and he's responsible for what comes out of my mouth. But notice, life and death is not in God's control. You even go to some funerals, and my gosh, you'd think God killed the person who was in there. You know, little Johnny, I know he got ran over by a truck and his arm fell off and he was in a lot of pain and everything, but God needed another little boy up there in heaven. He was just one short up there and God killing this one and killing that one. How many know that's not the work of God? God is not in control of everything, praise God. He's not in the funeral business. Some people think he makes money on funerals, praise God. So he goes around killing people, but that's not the way it is, glory to God. Basically, it has nothing to do with God. I'll tell you where God's in control, heaven. And there's not a whole lot of sickness up there. There's not a whole lot of dead people up there. There's not a whole lot of pain up there. Why is that? Because up there, the word is settled. What's our job down here? Settle the word of God in line with the kingdom of God. There's going to come a time, how many of you know, when the devil's going to be locked up for 1,000 years? And at that time, there's going to be no sickness. There's going to be no disease. There's going to be none of that stuff. Why is that? Because the devil, who's the source of these things, is going to be locked up in that time. Some people say, well, why don't God do something now? Well, we know in this church that basically because when Adam sinned, man lost his dominion here on the earth and gave it to the devil at that time. So the devil's in dominion until you get born again, but then you are raised and seated in heavenly places, far above all principality, power, life, and dominion, and now you can rule once again just like Adam was supposed to, praise God. So the dominion's been given back to us. You have control in your life. You have dominion in your life. You're supposed to have faith in your life. You're supposed to have power in your life. Now, whether you're using these things or not or in entirely up to you. But those that aren't using them are simply blaming everything that goes wrong in their life on God. People, you think people talk about you a lot. How would you like to be God? <laughs> My gosh, I'll tell you, if I was sovereign and could do anything I wanted, there'd be some people dead probably if I was God by now, praise God. But notice, it's not that way, is it? Glory to God. That's not the way it works. How I many know there's going to come a day when God's going to take back control of the earth, praise God, and things are definitely going to change then, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. All right, go to Matthew chapter 17. All right, Matthew chapter 17, look at verse 19. 
It says, then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could we not cast him out? Talking about casting the devil out of someone. And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible for you, howbeit this kind goes not out but by prayer and fasting. Notice he says, if you have faith, you will say. You will say. Well, what if I don't talk to the mountain? I just think that mountain belongs in my life. I just think God's teaching me because I got that mountain in my life and it's teaching me how to be a better person. Thank God for the mountains in my life because they're really making me a better person and they're growing my character. No, the mountain's in your life because you haven't spoke to it. Because you haven't used your authority, you haven't used your dominion, or you're waiting for God to speak to it who won't do it. I look at verse 21. Howbeit this kind goes not out, but by prayer and what? All right, is God, God in charge of your prayer life? In charge of your fasting? Nope, it's up to us, isn't it, once again? It's not God is in control of everything. It's up to us. The Bible says in Mark 16, These signs shall follow them that believe. What shall they do? They shall heal the sick, they shall cast out devils, and they shall speak in other tongues. So if there's sick people in the earth, it's not God's fault. It's the church's fault. Demons around people, it's the church's fault. God's not going to speak in tongues for you. Oh, Lord, I'm tired today. Would you please pray in tongues for me? How many know he's not going to do it? Notice all these things are our responsibility, not God's responsibility. These signs shall follow them that believe. All right, go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'll tell you, if you get questioned on anything in your kingdom life, this will be it. You're going to run into tons of people that believe God's in control of everything, and they have nothing to do in this world at all. It's completely up to them, and blah, 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 blah. And you're going to have to prove to them through the Word of God that God is not in control of everything. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Corinthians 6, look at verse 12. I'm sorry, 1 Timothy 6. Look at verse 12. It says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. It commands us to do what? Fight the what? Now why, if God's in control of everything? Why should I fight the good fight of faith? What makes the difference if I got faith or not? If God's going to sovereignly do whatever God wants to do anyway, be it for me that I don't even need faith because God's just going to do it because he's in control, praise God. If God's going to heal me or not, it's totally up to him. Why do I need faith? If God's going to bless me, it's totally up to him and not me. If God's going to deal with the devil, it doesn't have anything to do with me, then why do I even need faith or to fight the good fight of faith? God is in control. Doctrine basically is to rob you of faith and rob you of your authority. A lot of people say, well, you just use faith to try to change God's mind. No, I use faith to agree with God's mind. Some people say, well, you pray just to try to convince God to do something that he don't want to do. Well, find out what he does want to do and pray that, and then you don't have to worry about whether you're praying something or whether he does or don't. If God is always in control, then basically everything being done is by God, and your faith don't make any difference, your authority don't make any difference, nothing makes any difference in your life. If I ever ran into somebody, it's, I say, how you doing? They say, not too good. Boy, my car just got repoed. My wife's leaving me. I lost my job. But God's will be done in my life. He's in control of everything. Well, no, he's not in control. I'll tell you what, if he's in control, things should be going fairly good for you. And all this came basically when New Age started to get into the church a long time ago. There's a New Age doctrine basically that says that everything that happens is God, of God, and he allows all things to happen. 
So we're just supposed to accept all things as they come. Sit back, relax, let things go on. If there's a mountain in your life, okay, God sent it. Basically, if you're sick, he's teaching you something. So just be happy in your sickness. Don't use authority. You don't need faith. The New Age basically says all you're trying to do is change God's mind when you try to do anything in your life. What is that? That is God is in control, and it's a doctrine of devils. I'll tell you, there's even a Bible out there that I used to tell people when I got born again to get. It's called the Spirit-Filled Bible. Did you ever hear that? Because I figured, you know, I had a little stuff by the side that would tell you this and that. And most of it's good, but there's some stuff in there that's junk. And I'll tell you what, these are real worldwide leaders who know some stuff, and they still put junk in there. One of the Spirit-Filled Bible that I read was basically in a footnote and said, and this is a scholar, I'm not going to tell you who it is, because everybody would know him anyway, Satan is God's controlled agent to bring about character development in your life. God's providence clearly allows him to do these things in your life to grow you up in the things of God. Now, how am I going to resist? I'm a new Christian. I read that, so whatever happens in my life, if God squashes me, it was God. And then you think, how can God love me if he's squashing me? I thought he loved me and he don't love me. If he loved me, he wouldn't squash me, but he's squashing me, but he does love me. I mean, it just causes confusion in the minds and the heart of people who are in there, praise God. And you get to somebody and they come, oh, come to Jesus. You want to get born again. You want to come in the kingdom of God. And now when you get in there, he might treat you like Job for a little while. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away in your life. And he may do this and do that. I mean, the guy probably who just confessed the prayer wants to undo it. I don't want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior anymore. I don't think that's a very good idea, praise God. Why is that? All these things are, are put in there, false doctrine. What are they for? To keep you from walking in the victorious life that Jesus has already provided for you, praise God. So the controlled doctrine basically says nothing happens unless God allows it. But the Bible tells us to walk by faith. Can you get an unbelief? Tells you to walk in the Spirit. Can you get in the flesh? Tells you the steps of the righteous man are ordered. Can you not follow the steps of a righteous man? The Bible says walk in love. Can you step out of love? All right. Go to 1 John chapter 5. The quicker you look at yourself for most of your problems, the quicker you'll have a growing spurt. It's not somebody around you. It's not your boss. It's not your job. It's not anything else. It's basically me. All right, 1 John chapter 5. Look at verse 18. It says, We know that whosoever is born of God sins not, but he that is begotten of God keeps himself, and that wicked one touches him not. Now, who's the wicked one? It's the devil, isn't it? Here he says, basically, if you keep yourself, God's not even in this verse, if you keep yourself, the wicked one will not touch you. Now, this isn't up to God whether he allows it or not. This is up to you. If you remember in the Old Testament, I mean, the death angel came around and was going to kill everybody that didn't put blood on their door. How many know they put blood on their door and he passed by? What if they wouldn't? God just didn't want that those people to live in that household? No, they did not do what they were supposed to do and obey what they were supposed to do. If they didn't apply the blood, then they died. Praise God. Hallelujah. These days, I mean, there's a lot of things out there you may have noticed that that wickedness is getting a little bit stronger. I think that's basically because it's not afraid to rear its head anymore. It used to under undercover work, but it don't even care right now. It just comes right out and talks stupid, look stupid, acts stupid, and don't care if anybody can detect it as wickedness or not. And basically, you know, there, there's witchcraft and stuff being 
attack towards Christian people. You've got to know that that's not of God when it hits your life. You've got to run that thing off. You just can't say, oh, God, help me, help me. No, you're the one who has to do it. Take your authority and run those things out of your life. How about just get off me in Jesus' name one or two times? Praise God. All right, one more on this. Go to Galatians chapter 6. You need to keep these scriptures, and if somebody comes up to you and wants to know about God's in control, just show them these scriptures and say, show me God. And these scriptures, they're not there. Not there anywhere, praise God. First Timothy, it says that God's wills that all men be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. Well, if God's will was all men be saved and God is sovereign and God could do what he wanted, how many know that all men would be? But how many know they're not? See? that was God's will and he's sovereign, then we wouldn't have any problems. God just save everybody. Wouldn't that be nice? And that would be the end of it, praise God. But it's not that way. Hallelujah. All right, Galatians chapter 6. Look at verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Why isn't he mocked? Because whatsoever man sows, that is what he reaps. For he that sows to his flesh shall reap of the flesh corruption, but he that sows to the Spirit shall reap unto him everlasting life. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we what? Faint not. Now notice, I love that first part. Don't, don't let God be mocked. In other words, don't mock God because you're in a mess right now, but you sowed to get in that mess, and he had nothing to do with it. In other words, don't plant corn and then get mad because it grows. Hallelujah. It wasn't up to God. It's what you planted, basically. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right, let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Some scriptures the church have pulled out of context and just used for every area of their life, man, I'm telling you. All things work together for good. That's another one. All things. I just got hit by a truck, lost both my arms, my wife left me, I'm broke. All things work together for good. How I many know they're not going to believe that? All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at verse 13. It says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually works also in you that believe. So here it says, you've got to look at the Word of God as not the Word of a man, not just a preached Word, but it is the Word of God. We have the Word of God through Jesus' lips. We have the Word of God through the apostles. We now have it written down in what's called the Bible. Whenever you hear the Word preached, you have to understand that that is God talking to you in that sermon. Until you believe it's the Word of God, basically you will not change your thoughts and will not bring you into a place to where your thoughts will start to prevail over the natural realm. To most, the Word has become just another book, a religious duty, a weekly habit, rather than the Word of God. I believe churches are full of people who just go to church on Sunday because they go to church on Sunday. They hear the sermon, and once they walk out the door, they can't think of two things that that sermon said to them whatsoever. They just got their 45 minutes in, they're happy as they can be, and out they go. Why is that? Because you don't believe it's God speaking to you. You're just doing your religious duty, basically. If you don't want to grow up, you won't have to. You can stay right where you're at. If you don't want to do whatever you don't want to do in the spiritual things and do it in God's kingdom, you can do that. There's no problem with that. You'll die and you'll go to heaven, but you'll live in hell while you're here on the earth till you get there, praise God. But once you understand that it's God talking to you personally, 
Is he talking to your wife? Yes, but he's not interested in that right now. You're more interested in that or your husband or somebody else. God is talking to you. When you read the Bible, God is speaking to you. When you come across something, you need to read it and take it. It's something from God speaking to you. So if you need to hear from God, read the Word. You need direction, read the Word. You need to feel dead inside, read the Word of God. You need a word of God. Don't run from church to church looking for somebody to prophesy over you. Read the word of God. It's God speaking to you through his word on a daily basis. All right, go to Romans chapter 4. Anymore, you can just sound intelligent to people if you know the word. In other words, if they come to you with a problem and want to know what you think about it, and basically you just give them the word and they don't know it's the word, they think you're really wise. But the only thing is you just know the word. And they don't know the word. They say, my God, that's something. Where did you get that? Well, I was up till 3 o'clock in the morning praying in tongues. God revealed it to know. I read it in a word. My God. Jeez. All right, Romans chapter 4. Look at verse 17. As it is written, I have made thee the father of many nations. How many know he's talking about Abraham? Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now, here's a picture of basically the natural sense realm battling with the Word of God that's trying to prevail over the natural realm. There's a battle going on in Abraham's head. Abraham seen himself as a 100, seeing his wife as barren. Yet God said, thy seed shall be as many as you can possibly, the sands of the seashore, basically. So he's got this battle going on in his brain. It says, who against hope, believed in hope. In other words, he left the hope of the natural realm and stepped over in the hope of the Word of God and the Word that God gave him. So there was a battle going on. Finally, the Word and faith prevailed over the natural realm and its evidence that was going on. God's Word went to combat and to war with it, and finally it won in his mind. The Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the things that are not not seen. So that means the battle is in what he saw in the natural realm against what he didn't see in the spirit realm, which was the Word of God. So what was he trying to do? He was trying to meditate that Word, believe that Word until that Word prevailed over his unbelief and the thoughts that were in his mind. Once it took over, it's just like salvation. Once you got born, the day you got born again, and people say, are you saved? And you say, I think so. That's what they told me. They told me I got saved. They told me I received Jesus. But after a period of time of three months, four months, somebody would walk up and say, are you saved? You say, oh, yeah, I'm saved. I got saved four months ago at the altar. What happened? The prevailing word got in your mind to a point to where you saw yourself saved rather than where you saw yourself before you got saved. And when it did that, it was easy for you. It's the same way with tithing. When you become used to tithing, you don't even think about it anymore. You don't get up every Sunday morning and say, should I or shouldn't I? Maybe I should. Maybe I should. It doesn't even in there anymore. You just do it because that's a natural thing to do. The Spirit has now overrid. The Word has overrid your natural thought life and has vacantly taken over. First, you can understand why people did. Now you don't understand why people don't. See, your mind has changed so much through the Word of God that it now prevails over those situations. So the Word will prevail over natural evidence and natural situations as long as you have the Word of God on it. 
it will grow and it will prosper. Look at verse 19. It says, he considered not his own body, now dead. He considered not the deadness of Sarah's womb. Notice he wasn't considering those things anymore. If he did consider them, how many of you know he would have never got over to the place where he believed what was going to happen? Look at verse 21. And Abraham being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able to perform. So there's a day when he became fully persuaded on the word of God, the natural realm, the evidence of the natural lost its hold on his thought life, and the word of God had grown, it had multiplied, it had prevailed over the natural thoughts that were plaguing his mind. Adam's faith was reckoned to him for righteousness. Look at verse 22. And therefore it was imputed to him for what? Righteousness. Now, what is righteousness? Righteousness, right again, is right alignment with God. So here it is. He hears the word. He's got a battle. I'm old. She's got a dead womb. Oh, but God said this, and God said that. And he got to a place where he got fully persuaded. He said, that's it. I may not have a baby now, but praise God, there's one on the way. When he did that, what did he do? He stepped into a right standing with God's word in right alignment with God so God could bring to pass in his life what he promised. Now, this just doesn't work for Abraham. It don't work if you're trying to have a baby. It doesn't work if you're 100 years old. It works for every area of your life, whether it's finances, whether it's power, whether it's victory, whether it's your purpose, whatever. You have got to come in your mind with that, find that word that promises you what God's put in your heart. You just meditate on it. You look at it. You see it. Sooner or later, you become fully persuaded. What's that do? Open the door up to the power of God on the inside of you to complete what needs to be done in your life. Praise God. All right, go to Acts chapter 6. That's right, brother. Preach it, bless God. Give it to him, glory to God. Go ahead. All right, Acts chapter 6. Look at verse 7. And the word of God increased... And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Here you see the word of God was on the increase as they preached it and practiced it when they heard it. The word began to develop and grow until it became a mighty force in the hearts of the men and of the women. It became a prevailing word. Why is that? Because the Word, once again, is a living seed. When planted in your heart and your mind, it will grow, become a growing force. The Word is eternal like God. It never gets old. It's never without power. The Bible says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus was fearless in the presence of disease. He was fearless in the presence of demons. He was using the Father's words, and he knew that they could not fail in his life. Jesus preached the word and it healed the sick. It broke the power of demons over mankind. The apostles preached the word and the sick were healed. The dead were raised and the multitudes were created. The word has the power to prevail over any situation or any circumstance in your life. What do you need to do if you're having a problem in your life? Find the word on your situation and put it to work in your life. If it's a financial situation, dig out four or five financial scriptures. If it's healing for your body, dig out those healing scriptures and start planting them in your mind. They will grow as long as you plant them and as long as you 
water them in your life. They will grow. And the only problem is in the natural realm, if you plant a seed, you see it come up through the ground, you see it grow, you see it produce fruit. Spiritually, you don't see that. You just keep putting the word in and putting the word in and putting the word in. And all once you go back and look at your notes from a year ago and you think, my God, was I stupid a year ago. Look what I wrote down here. And it, what happened? Your mind, it grew and you changed and now you're thinking differently and the word's a different effect on your life. I mean, even when you read the Bible or hear a tape, I mean, I go back and listen to tapes I listened to 10 years ago and I get some stuff out of them. I didn't even, I, he must have not said it the first time because it certainly wasn't in there the first time. <laughs> but what happened? I grew into a place now where I can understand different parts of the teaching that I couldn't understand understand before. So even if you come to church and I preach for 45 minutes and you leave and say, I don't understand any of that, just leave the seed in there. Just leave it grow. And pretty soon you'll say, well, he wasn't crazy after all six months down the road. He didn't know what he was talking about when he said all this stuff. See, what is it? It's a seed that's planted in and everybody's thought life is in a different area. Everybody's heart's in a different area. So you can't really judge it unless it's completely out of line with the Word of God and you know it. And then it's like somebody going on a blackboard and going, isn't it? Because you know the word. Walk up to one of your friends. How you doing? Well, just God's in control of everything, and He's doing the best He can in my life. And I hope He's. <laughs> you want to smack him, don't you? But you weren't. One time you just said, "That's right, brother. The same thing's happening to me in my life. That's the way it is." But now your mind has been changed. It's been renewed without even knowing it. The word keeps going in there. You're being washed with the water of the word, and you're thinking completely different than you did before. And you're walking your way into success with the word of God. Praise God. All right, go to First John chapter four. All right, 1 John chapter 4, look at verse 7. It says, Beloved, say, that's me. <laughs> Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knows God, and he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is what? love. Now, behind the Word of God, if you want revelation, if you want it to prosper and grow in your life, if you want to act on the Word, if you want things to come quickly, love is the prevailing power behind the Word of God. Love is the power behind the Word of God. Love is the proof of the new birth that you walked into. Only lovers have the evidence that they have passed out of death to life because they love their brothers and sisters. He that loves not abides in death, the Bible says. Either they have not received eternal life, the nature of God, or the Word of God is not in their heart and in their mind. Have you ran into someone who got born again, never read the Word of God? You, you see them three years later, and they are exactly the same person they were three years ago, even though they're born again? And you wonder if they're even born again? If you're not in the Word of God, you're not going to do any changing. You're going to do a lot of conviction, but you're not going to do any changing. It's the Word of God that causes you to change, causes you to see clearly, causes you to see things in the Spirit. It causes you to learn how to love. As you stay in the Word of God, it will make you a lover. One of the most powerful two words in the whole Bible are even as. See, because when God told me to start loving people, I wanted to love people like I wanted to love people. But the problem is He put even as I loved. And I didn't like those words because I knew how He loved. My God, they hung Him on a cross, beat Him, and He forgave Him. I mean, come on, people, Judas betrayed him, he loved him. So that even as in there meant that you can love people just as he loved them. Well, I can't do that. I'm not good. Well, yes, you can. Once again, you don't know the Word of God and what it says. So what are you going to have to do? You're going to love people even as he loves them. All right, First John, go back to chapter 2. Look at verse 10. 
He that loves his brother abides in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and knows not whether he goes, because that darkness has done what? Blinded his eyes. Now notice, if as long as you're walking in love, there is no occasion, no chance that you're going to be stumbling. The word of love prevailing in the heart takes the man out of the realm of weakness and failure and the natural realm, where his words will cause offense, his actions will lead others to do wrong. If he hates his brother, he's living in darkness. Notice he's not in agape love, he's in conditional love. The word has not yet prevailed over his life. So what am I going to do? I'm going to spend time meditating on love. I'm going to think about love. I've got to drive selfishness out of mind. But what do I want? What do I want to do? They shouldn't have did that to me. They shouldn't have, whenever the I and the me start taking you over, it means your mind has slipped back in the wrong place into selfishness, basically. They're not practicing love. The best way you can walk in love is learn how to practice it, especially when you don't want to or feel like it. Hallelujah. So here it says there's no occasion of stumbling. What happens when you get off and you stumble? Basically, your eyes are blinded, talking about spiritual eyes, with darkness. All once, no revelations coming from the Word. I could read the whole New Testament, and God didn't say a word to me. Why? Because He's trying to get that darkness out of there and get you back into the light where you belong. Revelation's not in the darkness. It's in the light. And then you're walking in the light and stay in the light. You know, unforgiveness and coming against somebody is bad because it hurts you. It doesn't hurt them, praise God. It took me a long time to discover that, but I've got it figured out now, praise God. It doesn't matter. Half the people don't even know you're mad at them. You met them for three years and say, boy, I finally forgave you. They said, I didn't even know you're mad at me. You think, boy, that was stupid for three years, wasn't it? See, so what do we want to do? We want revelation. We want to walk in the Word. We want the Word to be alive. How am I going to do that? I'm going to continue to walk in the light as He is in the light. All right, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse 3. Oh, let's go back up to verse 1. This is too good. And I, brethren, now he's talking to the brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babies in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, but hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. For you are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and division, are you not carnal and walk as mere men? How many would like to have Paul for a pastor? <laughs> Probably couldn't even get around, away with that anymore, praise God. He says, basically, you're carnal. Why are you carnal people? Because you're soul-led, you're feeling-led, you're emotion-led. Basically, you're in strife, you're in division. The Word is not having any place in your thought life or in your actions. Many believers, because the Word does not prevail in them, live just like common men or mere men. When that happens, disease and sickness can prevail over them because they do not walk in the light of the Word. Main causes of sickness and disease in the body of Christ, I believe, are worry, fear, stress, unforgiveness, all these things emotionally have an effect on your physical body. As long as sickness prevails over you, you are still walking in the darkness. You have no peace, you have no joy, you have dis-ease or disease. You mentally assent to the Word, you claim it's true, but you do not act upon it. It doesn't work in your case. As long as you walk in poverty and your testimony all day long is of your needs and your lack, the Word has not prevailed in your life. 
You can't talk negatively about any area in your life and find where God did. That's the problem. Well, I just don't know. We're not going to make it this month. We're never going to have enough money to pay our mortgage this month. Now, where, where can I find that? Let's see. Joshua say that or Ephesians in there someplace or no, it's not it. I'm sick as a dog. Not just sick, as a dog. I'm sick. Praise God. Or he, Hebrews. See, these are things that come out of our mouth. These show us what we're actually thinking. How many know that words are just expressed thoughts? So basically, you're just telling everybody what you think. It shows your mind's not in control of the Word of God, or you'd be talking the Word of God about the situation. So basically, God meets my needs according to His riches and glory, but He's never going to do it this month because we're never going to get enough money to do it. Basically, that's what you're thinking, and once in a while, you're throwing the Word of God out there. And the only time you can really do it is in Sunday church anyway. i got two hours to quote the Word, then I can go back to talking any way I want to talk. And then you bring your friends from work. And they say, how come you talk one way in church and one way on the job? How comes you do that? I'll get... And you've got to explain that, basically, because you become a hypocrite, praise God. So you need to know these verses. They need to grow on the inside of you so that you can quote them when you need to quote them. Now, a faltering or stumbling confession is present when the Word has not prevailed over your reason, reasoning faculties and your mindset. In other words, if you're talking negative, you're talking defeat, you're talking down and out, it's because at that moment, the Word of God is not prevailing over your normal thought life at that time. When the Word becomes as real to you as the Word of a friend, the Word of a banker, the Word of a doctor, then faith will cease to be a problem in your life. And we don't have any problem believing the doctor, do we? I went to the doctor. He took a scan of me and way down in there in my pancreas, wherever that is, in there someplace, there's a, there's a lump on my pancreas. That's what he said. Did you see the lump? Well, no, I couldn't see the lump because it's way down on my pancreas. Have you ever felt the lump? No, I never really felt the lump. But the, he says, I got a lump. And if I got a lump and the doctor says, I got a lump, then I got a lump. Praise God. Well, if the doctor says he's going to meet your needs, then God says he's going to meet your needs. He's going to meet your needs. Praise God. If God says you're healed, then you're healed. Praise God. You're healed. See, it's so much easier to take the word of a natural person than it is God, yet God's word is a lot more powerful than what we here in the natural realm. So we ought to be able to listen to his word and say, praise God, that's it. It's settled. That's what God said, and that's just the way it is, and that's the way it's going to be. Praise God. That's the way things go. What are we doing now? We're we're practicing the word. We're thinking on the word. We're meditating on the word. If you're having money problems, meditate on being wealthy. See yourself throwing money all over the place. Praise God, and your bank account's so full you can't do anything with it, and you just got so much money you don't know. See yourself up out of the wheelchair. See yourself up. What are you doing? You're getting on God's Word, and it's starting to work on your thought life, and now you're seeing yourself. Before I preached, I preached. I preached to thousands of people before I preached to one. What was it? I'd sit down, I'd sit down, I'd get a revelation, and praise God, I'd close my eyes, and I'd think there's a big audience out there, praise God. I even got a couple of amens every now and then, praise God, from way in the back out there, glory to God. See, why was that? I saw myself laying hands on people and getting touched by the Spirit of God. I saw people breaking out in the joy of the Lord. I saw people getting stuck to the floor. I saw people falling down. I saw these things before they ever happened in the natural realm. I saw them in here before that. Why was that? Because those were things that God promised me that were going to happen in my ministry, and I meditated on so long, I just thought they were naturally supposed to happen. But then you run into a lot of people who's never seen anything like that before, and apparently they haven't meditated on the word of those, and they get mad because of what's going on. Why is that? They've never seen that before. I mean, look at people who've never seen anything like that before, never meditated on it, never even entered their thought life. It scares them crazy. Why is that? Because it's never been in there before. They've never seen anything like that before. They've never seen it in the word. They've never seen it anywhere. So whatever God's given you in your heart through the word of God, meditation on the word, that's why God gave you an imagination. 
That's what it's for. That's what you protect it for, to see what he places in your heart. See yourself in ministry if that's it. See yourself doing this, doing that, whatever God's telling you to do. And as you do that, it'll come to fruition in your life, praise God. If God said it, then I want to believe it and I want to settle it. And the place i got to settle it most is right here and right here. Because here's where the battle is every time. All right, go to Psalm 27. I mean, when I started in ministry, I saw, I saw a move of God, and I saw it in my lifetime, and I'm still here, and it hasn't happened yet, so it's still got to happen. So the devil comes to me and says, I'm going to kill you tomorrow. I say, it can't. I haven't seen the move of God yet. You're going to have to wait a little bit, devil. You just have to step back until I see the move of God because it's already been planted in me, and that's what I've been seeing. That's what's been going on. And after it happens, praise God, don't worry, I'll be ready to go. You won't have to take me then. I just want to get out of here when that happens. But God spoke to me a long time ago, 35 years ago, and said, this is going to take place. This is how it's going to happen. This is what it's going to take place. And it's in there now, and it just it, you can't get it out. It don't matter how crazy people get. It don't matter how far away from God people get. It doesn't change the fact that that's in there and there's going to be a move of God like this planet has never seen before. And the older I get, the more excited I get because I know it's got to be getting closer. (laughs) My God. (laughs) Jesus. Jesus. I mean, I thought it was coming when I'm 40 and 50 and 60. My God, we got to be on the cusp of this thing right now because we're getting up there, praise God. All right, Psalm 27, look at verse 1. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Did God say that? Did he say that? Is that the truth? I just don't have an ounce of strength today. I don't know if I'm going to be able to put one leg in front of the other leg today. Well, let's see what he said here. He said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Who should I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom should I be afraid? afraid, praise God. Well, if God said that, then the Lord's the strength of my life. I may not feel like I have an ounce, but you know what? The Lord is the strength of my life, praise God. Out there in the mail truck and 200 degrees in that stupid little cab, and I'm about wore out, and up the night before and down the morning, the Lord is the strength of my life, praise God. Hallelujah. Isn't that better than saying, I feel like crap today. I don't think I'm going to be able to finish the route today. I should have banged in sick today. That ain't going to help you. You're just going to feel worse than you did when you started. So why not say, well, Lord, you're the strength of my life. Praise God. You're breathing on the inside of me. I'm ready to go. I may work 10 hours instead of eight today. Praise God. I'm on a roll. Glory to God. So once again, the word, the word of God. Do you lack wisdom? The word of God said, Jesus Christ is your wisdom. And Jesus Christ is on the inside of me. So apparently I have the wisdom that I need. I just don't know it. So I keep asking for something that I've already got. So I'm not going to say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, you got the wisdom on the inside of you, so you do know, praise God. He's your righteousness. The Bible said I was anointed. I'm anointed. You don't look anointed. I don't care if I look anointed or not. I'm anointed. How do you know you're anointed? God said I was anointed. Can you feel it? Not right now, but I'm anointed, praise God. Why? Because, see, everybody wants to argue with you. Well, you don't look anointed. Should your eyes be glowing or something? Shouldn't you look like you've got some? Should you be? No. The word, simple word says I am anointed. The Bible says that I will praise him no matter what happens. How many know that's up to you? You can't say, well, God, uh, uh, let me praise you now. Do something. Give me a goose bump or something so I praise you. No, that's an act of your will to obey the word of God, and I'm just going to praise him, praise God, and I'm going to sing on key or off key. It makes no difference to me. The Bible says make a joyful noise. 
So you can cover everything if you want. Even your singing's bad. You can cover it through the Word of God. Praise God. It's already in there. <laughs> Glory to God. It works out. Hallelujah. So all these things. The Bible says you can cast out devils and rule over demons. Can you? Well, I wish I could. Well, can you? I hope I can. No, can you? What did God say? See, we always want to clarify things or we want to do it before we'll believe it. You've got to believe it, then you do it. It's the other way around. Well, if I ever cast out a devil, I believe I can do it. Well, start trying then. Sooner or later, one will leave, and then you'll finally believe it, praise God. But it's, it's based on basically what God's Word said. The Bible is God's Word, and if He said it, He's not going to go back on it. He's not going to say, oh, well, they can't do it anyway. I don't care if they got any money anyway. Everything that He says basically has already been finished in His eyes. All right, go to Colossians chapter 1. The more you hear the voice of God, the more you line up your, your mind with God, God will show you things beyond the Word. And by that, I mean things that aren't specifically in the Word of what you're supposed to do in your life. But first of all, you just need to be able to do what you know is right in the Word of God already. It's already in there, so just obey what the Word's there. Then what house should I buy? How many know that's not in the Bible? You know, where should I work? It's not in the Bible. But you'll get these things and you'll know, you'll have that knower right down in here. You'll know that you know that you know that you'll know that that's the thing that you need to do. And then don't ask somebody who's a deadhead. Worst thing you can do. Well, I'm called to preach the gospel all over the world. You are not. You never even read the Bible. You don't know nothing. You can't do it. And pretty soon you say, gosh, maybe I didn't hear God. Maybe that wasn't. But no, no. Find somebody who's going to listen to you. And if don't say anything, take that as a plus. See? That means at least they're thinking about what you said and praying about it to find out if it's true rather than a national emotional reaction to everything and see how it goes. All right, Colossians chapter 1. Look at verse 13. He has delivered us out from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Notice you were delivered out of weakness, out of failure, out of spiritual blindness. You have been delivered, redeemed from the curse. He said so, so it is a fact. The word at last, as you meditate on these things, will start to prevail in your life. We are what he says we are. You can do what he says you can do. He is what he says he is. No word from God is void of ability or power to be made good in your life if you take it and put it in your heart and mind and let it prevail. Take God at his word. Allow the word to prevail in your thoughts and your talk. It is a word of faith in your heart and in your mouth that changes and adjusts the natural realm. If it prevails in your heart, it will then rule in your m mouth because out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. Glory to God. All right, that's good. That's close enough. Praise God. 830. Hallelujah. Praise God. the key.